welcome to the Next Level Life podcast. I'm your host, Christine Corcoran, founder of Periscope Coaching, qualified business and life coach, Edis profiler and speaker. The Next Level Life podcast is all about taking your life and business to the next level. Each episode is designed to open up your mind to a new perspective and inspire you to live your life with purpose and passion. Each week, I will endeavor to bring you a new episode with a thought, insight or interview with an inspiring thought leader or successful business owner to help you push past your fears and inspire your soul. Ready to get started? Let's go. Welcome to episode 20 of the Next Level Life podcast with guest speaker Terry Hawkins. Terry is the CEO and founder of People in Progress Global. She's a best selling author, business educator, and speaker. She's a masterful educator in mindset change, cutting-edge sales techniques, leadership development, temperament theories, relationship connectors and communication strategies, just to name a few. She has spoken to every industry imaginable using her uncanny ability to relate to any audience and her beautiful humor. I had the privilege of seeing her speak on stage a few years ago and was blown away by her simple way of looking at ways that we can improve our lives right from our work life through to our personal life. And so I wanted to get Terry on to the podcast to share her gems, to share her experience and to share her knowledge. Terry is also a best-selling author and well-established businesswoman. Her training company, People in Progress Global, was founded in 1989, and 28 years on, it continues to be a leader in the delivery of high-impact, results-based learning. Having personally presented to over hundreds of thousands of people, Terry knows what works and what doesn't work when getting results through education. So I wanted to bring this episode to you. There is so much goodness. We talk about so many different topics from the difference between empathy and sympathy, understanding that we need to lift people up to get the best out of them, being able to get past the business basics and actually get back to the human side of people, the top three traits of being a great leader, and how we impact people in less than three seconds, relationships and business and how being truthful and being able to sit in that truth is really important, the importance of honoring your business values through the people who are on the front line, being able to get clear on your purpose, how profit is a byproduct of the tribe honoring the purpose, vision and values of the business and how New Year's resolutions are more about looking back on the year to come. Now that sounds random, but looking back on the year to come and deciding what you want to be remembered for. Terry Hawkins is a powerhouse woman with a big heart and a passion for people. And today we kindly delve into beautiful different things that make people tick. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and let's get straight into it. Well, I want to thank you and welcome you to the Next Level Life podcast, Miss Terry Hawkins. Um, <laughs> as founder and CEO of People in Progress, business educator, international speaker and best-selling author, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Well, anything for you, Christine, you're delightful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. So for people who um, have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got started and how you've gotten to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I've been in um, the education and more so enterprise um, education for uh, probably t it's 28 years. And so I started my company, People in Progress, in 1989. Um, and then prior to that, I had, uh, you know, a few jobs working in um, mainly the fashion industry in uh, national education roles and so forth. And then, uh, yeah, in 1989, I decided to go out on my own. I had $167 and it really wasn't, I think people have this illusion that, um, you know, these are the, these magical stories of how people start their business. But I'd been retrenched from my company. They'd gone, they were going broke. And... I had no money and I was recruiting staff. Uh, that was a job that I had got in after that. And I, I just thought, oh, well, I'll just start a training company. I mean, wow. why wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, like I had, there was no marketing plan. I just had a big yellow phone book, uh, yellow pages phone book. I love telling this story now because people go, what sort of a book? <laughs> um, but literally this big fat telephone book and a phone and I just moved to Sydney and I knew nobody. So I'd only been there for 18 months. I'd, I'd relocated with my last job. Um, yeah, so there you go. 
And so what was the, what did you feel your purpose or your vision was for your business back then? I had a a very clear purpose. Actually, that's a very interesting question. I've never been asked that before. When I was 21 years of age and I was working at Just Jeans and I, no, I would have been younger, would have been about 20, so much younger. Um, (laughs) And I just got my job working there. And I think I just got into the training role actually. And, uh, and so I loved it. I loved training. It was like the moment I sat before a group of people, I think it was six people, even though I had a couple of training jobs prior to that. Um, I was like a duck to water. And I remember walking through Winter Garden Mall in Brisbane thinking, I would really love to have a company like this one day. So I was tw- 21 and I thought, and I was so clear. I went, well, what I'll do is I'll have like maybe five clients and I'll work for each of the clients one day a week. And then I forgot about it. I completely forgot about it. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I was 28, I was, yeah, 27, 27 that I, um, that I started the business. So, hmm. wow. And so by your experience of the different roles that you played out with doing training, was it that you look, looked at it and went, well, I would do it differently this way or I would do it by doing it this way? Like what was it that you wanted to create or um, support with the, with the people Very you were good. I just realized I didn't answer your question. Um, <laughs> thank you for being so kind. I actually, because when I worked in retail, I realized that, and I came from a very, very uh, tough upbringing. And so I, I did this ACE test, and I, I'm going to answer the question. I did this ACE test. It's all about childhood trauma. And I saw it on that TED talk about four weeks ago mm. where there were 10 things that would happen to you um, under the age of 18. And 86% of the population had at least experienced one of them. Then it was something like 12% had experienced up to four. And I had experienced nine out of the 10. Wow. So I actually could have had the 10 out of the 10 because my brother went to prison uh, when he was in the army, but I left that one off because I thought, and I even had to go back through it to go, am I fudging this? Like, is this, you know, when you can sometimes over-dramatize your own drama, mm. but they were black and white questions. And so I had a very low self-esteem, very insecure, and, and carried that with me for a lot of years. I had skin disorders, you know, I had warts all over my face. I had uh, all these other external things as well. So this is just abuse that happened to you. When I got into retail and when I had a couple of other job, odd jobs training people, the magic I felt being able to stand in front of someone and just see their day be lighter. And I remember standing on the shop floor and they wanted to sack me after two weeks because I was useless. But what I do remember is people laughing and I could make people laugh. And the more they laughed, the longer they stayed in the store, the longer they stayed, the more they bought, the more I sold. I ended up winning competitions. But it was never about the product and it never has been. And I've never been, you know, driven by money because when you can sometimes see someone's face and then they just look at you and go, God, I needed that today. Yeah. I realised that. Yeah, and I realised the power that retailers had. And so I, I actually wrote as a 27-year-old 20, 20, new founder because I was lucky enough to work for a Japanese training company and I'd learned about vision and way before it became in vogue. And my vision for the business was to show retailers, uh, no, to have retailers believe that their job was a worthwhile profession so that they actually then treated the customer with kindness. And then the customer would reciprocate. And that was my vision. Wow. And I mean, even at this time of year, like obviously coming into Christmas, it is so apparent in retail spaces, good customer service and bad customer service. Mm -hmm. So obviously you go about doing this within training situations. What do you feel is the biggest challenge when overcoming that for your, for your employees? Well, I think, I, and this is why I'm in the business that I'm in, and, and we've transitioned now into this um, whole online platform, is that people consider training, I think, to be something that's tribal. So if I teach you what I know, then I've trained you. And I go, no, you've just kept them as dumb as you are. <laughs> okay. Isn't it? Because if I, just, if I teach you what I know, you're only ever going to be as smart as me. But if I go out and look for expertise in that particular area, uh, so, that, so I look at our clients and 
when we train our um, team, whether it's been whether it's online or, or our clients, I should say, online or face to face, that's that's an absolute skill to do that, and it's an absolute skill to have really brilliant people on the front line. It's an absolute skill to be able to coach and develop and manage your people to a level of of you know absolute competency and outstanding behaviour uh, or performance. So I say to people. If you want to really build your business, then get people outside of the business uh, to grow up for you. Because if you all you're doing is keeping your knowledge inside your business, you are actually creating the glass ceiling. Mm. Mm. That's so, so true. Yeah, because it's people go, just be nice to customers. And I go, really? Half <laughs> the time you want to rip their face off, you know? So isn't it better to teach them resilience? Isn't it better to teach them? I saw in in Australia now they've got this thing where uh, they're putting out this thing about be nice to retailers or something. Oh, yeah, it's on the radio. Mm. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I, w- I was literally shocked. I was in the car yesterday and heard it and was like, really? That's a thing? Like, are we being horrible to retailers? <laughs> it's awful. Um, but anyway, so you're, obviously your, your career has um, evolved over many years. So you obviously, like, I had the privilege of seeing you speak um, in front of a conference a few years back. And what I loved about what you presented was, not only the concept of um, Flipman and Pitman, but also mm-hmm. to the way that you the way that you view the world in the in regards to the world happening for us and how we can choose to be part of that or disassociate from it. One of the, your story, the way that you talked about um, you were talking about a client, and yet you turned it around and completely disassociated yourself from that actually being your experience, and that blew my mind. I remember sitting, I vividly remember sitting next to a work colleague and was like. Oh my God. <laughs> and so tell me a little bit about your Flipman and Pitman concept. Well, Flipman and Pitman, um, Pitman, they actually came out of a three day retail sales training program. Can you believe it? And Pitman, I actually had trained two teenage boys who unfortunately had taken their life because of their high school leaving result. And I was so upset. And I, and a lot of what I come up with and create is through there's universal truths and there's you know business skills and so forth and then a lot of the um the other essence of what i am it comes through the people that i work with and you know i drew this pit and uh and then over time it just grew because i knew what it felt like to be in the pit Mm. and i knew what it felt like to contemplate suicide and actually you know even take it that step further i knew the darkness um and i remember calling it the pit because i remember just before i tried to commit suicide when i was 19 I remember that's the only way I could describe it was in this amazing dark hole and you couldn't reach the sides. And so, um, and Flipman, of course, became everything that I learned of, of how to flip that, but a process because I'm not into, people say you're a motivational speaker. And no, they ask me, they go, are you a motivational speaker? And I go, why don't you tell me when I'm finished? Because <laughs> 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 I'm sure not everybody's going to be motivated by me. Some people hate me. Um, <laughs> And so I wanted to create a process that allowed people to change the brain, to, you know, flip the patterning. And, you know, the, the methodology that you're talking about is when I talk about my journey, my childhood from the time I was four, you know, right through, and I use a third person to tell that story. And I get a lot of people have that reaction where they're quite shocked. Um, and the reason I do that is because it's irresponsible to stand on a stage and to say, people don't want to hear that. Mm. They don't want to hear the person they're looking at. Uh, this is the trauma that she's gone through because it's just such an emotional responsibility to pass on to people, I think. Mm. Also, I don't want people's pity and I personally don't want their, dra- their drama around it. Mm. Um, so I protect myself in that way. Um, the one thing I did have the realisation this year about though, so here I am, 56, still learning is because of the constant abuse as a child, and we're just talking relentless, you know, um, I, learned to, I learned to conquer my issues, my, the stuff that happened to me. I didn't learn to integrate. And that's what doing that ACE test taught me. Mm. Was Yeah, it was really powerful that, um, you know, I studied integration, lots of stuff with uh, timeline therapy and NLP and so forth. But um, I think a lot of us, we get over things, you know, stuff happens. We go through all this pain and then we get over it. And then we go, I learned that and I learned that and I learned that. And 
next thing. Whereas I think when we can stop and go, and I had to pause and look at that little girl and go, you're a freaking hero. Mm. Like, you know, you kept your compassionate heart. You kept your, now what did I do that was negative? I put a barrier around myself um, and protected myself, you know, by being what the busy wife that, you know, I'm so busy. I can't get a relationship. <gasps> you know, I've got two children. I had all the stories and it wasn't until I, um, until I did that ACE test, I went, wow, Terry, I think it's maybe time to integrate and let yourself feel good about where you've been. Yeah, mm. 100%. And to be aware of that little girl and know that she was freaking strong to get through that and to come out the other end with your passion and your ability to have compassion for other people and still want to give, like that's, that's huge. Mm. It's weird, isn't it? Like yeah. it's... Um, it is because, and I think, uh, and trust me, my story is nothing. I always say this compared to so many stories that I've heard of other people. And, and that's why I think I talk about it because I want to go, you know, so we do, we give up something for something, mm. you know, so, oh, it was Jay-Z. I couldn't believe that he said it. I was like, oh, um, he made the comment about when you're in survival mode, you have to have some sort of mechanism to, to help you continue. Now, I'm, I'm not the poster girl for what an abused life looks like. You know, I should be addicted to something. Um, you know, I should have diabetes because of, you know, uh, massive obesity. I should be, and I'm not being disrespectful here at all because people do because of the way I, the reason I look the way that I look and the successful career that I've had, people actually think it's okay to then judge me and criticise me. Mm. I wish she to say that and I go I've got every freaking right to say it yeah damn straight <laughs> yeah because you you we came for a reason and I think that's what um that's what I want people to get is that it doesn't matter what happened it's irrelevant really mm. yeah what does matter is that you acknowledge yourself for getting through it you keep a kind heart and you know that every pain that you've had expands your heart if anything mm. Yeah. And I think even the way that you did talk about it on, at that conference was also teaching other people how to disassociate from their story, that you don't have to be your story and you can move past it and still be successful and still achieve what you want to achieve in life. And I think that was what was really powerful as well. You know, Christine, I, I totally agree because I hear people all the time, first person, their story, mm. and I will never first person my story unless I'm actually using a specific example for a reason. Because yeah. I'm so disconnected from it now anyway. Like as far as when I say disconnected, I mean I don't get a charge on it. You know, yeah. you won't find me rocking in the corner, you know. Um, but every time people tell that story, their story firsthand, as you know, the brain goes, oh, oh we're yeah. going through that experience again. All right, let's all get ready. You know, and then the tears come up and then, the, you know, the, and then you always find a pit person, you know, to share it with, have a pit party. <laughs> yep. <laughs> With your pit pals. <laughs> I love that. I still use that concept all the time. Like get out of your well, party. <laughs> I've just produced a 3D animation movie. It's three and a half minute. Um, don't ever do 3D. It's so expensive. <laughs> but, uh, let me tell you. Um, but, yeah, so we've got a little get out of the pit video that we'll, uh, we'll be releasing soon, which is exciting. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I also love how you kind of bring in the concept of understanding empathy and sympathy as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what your take is on that? Oh, I love all your questions. Um, yes, well, I actually uh, disagree with the Dalai Lama here. Don't we love that? Let's be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> because I think what's happened over time is that people have got confused. And, um, and so I've been working with empathy for, since I was 24. I did my first ever full presentation when I was working at Jeans West, I had the most amazing boss, Susie O'Connor. She's still my friend. Um, and she got me to do a speech on empathy. And so we're talking, you know, 32 years ago mm. and, and I've trained it ever since. So empathy to me is the act of compassion and sympathy is where you buy in. Yeah. And I think, I, I think there was a, a situation with um, the CEO of LinkedIn, whose name is coming to me. Um, anyway, and he, he's having a chat with the Dalai Lama and they're talking about compassion and empathy. 
and they talk about the fact that if there's a man lying on the road and he's got a rock on his road, on his chest, a big boulder on his chest, empathy is feeling the boulder on our chest as he has the boulder on his chest. And compassion is doing something about it. And I don't agree. Sympathy is where you have the boulder on your chest. You feel that they, what they feel. You, you know, you buy into it. Whereas empathy to me is I'm able to, with my experience, my insight, my intelligence, my emotional awareness and social awareness, I'm able to compassionately understand where you're at. And because I'm not, I haven't bought in, I'm able to do something about that. And so empathy is, to me, compassion is empathy in action. Yeah, awesome, perfect. Mm. Really, and sympathy is toxic. Yeah, because you see that it's their pain, not our pain. So you're not taking it on board and still being able to see it and go, well, I don't have your pain, so I can help you. Exactly. I can stand neutral. But that's the trick. Most people, this is one of the major parts of our, our retail training. Can you believe it? That's yeah. how people can handle conflict and upset customers and customers who are, who are angry is because they're not a part of it. True. They're able to look at this person and go, well, I actually don't know you. This is the first time I've laid eyes on you. There's no reason that you would hate me personally. So, wow, if I create a different meaning for that, perhaps you're having a really bad day. And in your ugliest moment, maybe I can be the person who stands here and holds that space for you mm. to give you a few seconds to calm down. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I just, I love it. Awesome. So you've worked with some really big names in your, in, with people in progress, with like Mecca, Home, uh, Hello World, Optus, ANZ. Has there been any favourites and why would that be? Oh. Oh, that's question. I hate to make you pick favorites. They're all my favorites. I love all my children. Um, I, I do have, there are standout companies and especially now that we're changing the business. And so, um, you know, we've gone from very live, highly interactive. We're still, we still do live training, but it's actually part of our onboarding process to be able to reach more people. So um, when it comes to being totally committed to the development of their people and genuinely and authentically creating a wonderful place to work uh, would be Mecca, uh, Mecca Brands, because Joe Horgan and Peter Wetterill, um, as a couple, they're just the most dynamic, amazing human beings you could ever meet. Uh, the fact that they can still work together is just hysterical. Um, they just do different parts, you know, of the business, which is good, but really cool people. Joe is one of the most passionate, um, fair, generous, kind, driven, pioneering women I think I've ever had the chance to work with. And so after 14 years, uh, her dedication to wanting to leave people better. And the thing I love out of the most, because our retail training is so retail, you know, so we do management and coaching and, you know, real, it's all about the business, but there's a huge element of that where they get their personal breakthroughs and they have their own personal development side that we do. And Joe always says to me, she goes, I just love when I hear it's changed their life. Wow. Yeah. She's, that's, that's more important to her than trying to get a return on investment, you know, and even though she gets a massive turn on investment, that says the sort of human being that she is. So mm, beautiful. She's a leader in that way. Yeah. Mm. So what does good leadership mean to you? Mm. good leadership means to me is to be able to hold the course, um, you know, to be very clear about where you're going and hold that course and to have nimbleness, you know, to move if you have to, vulnerability, to be able to say I screwed up, I was wrong. Um, Humility. Mm. Yeah, I, I think... I think that's a really important part of leadership, I think. Um, Paul Ramsey, actually, he owned Prime Television and Ramsey Health Hospitals, was a major shareholder, whatever. He passed away just recently. And I got the chance to sit beside him at a dinner. He was the CEO of this you know, massive organisation. I was presenting to 160 of his CEOs the next day and I said to him, and I knew I'd never get the chance to see him again, so I said, if you could give me three things, like three bits of advice to go forward with, what would they be? And I think this is what a great leader is. He said, number one, always look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> and I thought that's so true. As a leader, you've got, you've got to have that, that uh, fortitude 
and that courage to either go, this is where we are going. It's going to be great. You know, come on, people. And so he said when he bought his first hospital, people would, all the doctors walked out. So he put a white coat on and a stethoscope around his neck and just walked through, just pretending that there was a doctor in the house while he's waiting for this doctor to come from another town. Um, he said, as long as people knew that there was a doctor in the house, they'd be fine. No doubt. <laughs> well, great. Great point. Second point is do the right thing. Mm. And I think every leader, we all know what the right thing is. We know the right thing to do with our customers. We know the right thing to do with our people. We know the right thing to do ethically. We know the right thing to do from a humanitarian point of view. We know the right thing to do when it comes just to communicating with that person who's emptying the, the trash for you. Mm. Do the right thing. And the third thing that he said was be kind. Lovely. He said, yeah, kindness and cruelty take the same amount of energy. Oh, wow. Yeah, awesome. So they're my top three traits to be a great leader. Hmm, beautiful. Thanks, Paul. Thank yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so when people, when, when brands or corporations or companies reach out to you to get help in their, in their educational space, mm-hmm. what challenges are they experiencing that lead them to come to ask for help? I think because we're primarily focusing in retail at the moment, um, but I, you know, we also work, the Cherry Hawkins brand also works with other clients as well. But uh, I would say the biggest thing would be in retail is we've changed so much in the last, say, 10 years. Mm. And we've gone from a very, uh, even longer, I suppose, 10, 15, 20 years, it was very customer focused. Whereas what we've done is we've transitioned into these businesses where it's very operational. Uh, people are doing tasks. It's all about, you know, getting the stock out, filling the shelves, Customers have become almost like an interruption. Yeah. Uh, we've stopped spending money on, you know, keeping their focus on what, what's the most important thing. So I think that's the, the first challenge is that they're not making enough money. Always. <laughs> um, and, and I always walk into stores and go, you are bleeding money in here. If I knew you could see how much money you're actually leaving on the table. And that's not the front line's fault. That's a leadership thing. And where is, where's their value? You know, if training's not a value of yours or educating your people isn't a value, then stop pretending that it is and become a warehouse. Mm. Um, and then I think outside of the retail sector, it's very much uh, I get called in to do some leadership breakthrough uh, work where, you know, you've got new, new teams that have come together or old teams that have really need to, um, to come to a new level because at, that, at senior executive level, it's more family therapy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Same dynamics, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And so you mentioned that you're about to transition onto being an online platform. How has that evolution happened? Like what have you found that that's because it's a need because we're so busy or? No, I think I actually had my first entry into this in 2005. And so I was, you know, one of the early starters, uh, but I, I really didn't take it to market. We had a couple of clients who were on board uh, and I just provided content to an LMS provider. I was about to actually engage with another LMS provider who was going to take a rev share, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, cause I was the content king and I could create the content, put it online. And, and I really believe this. I really hope whoever's listening gets this. When we hear a no or something doesn't go the way we thought it was supposed to, I truly believe now and have done for quite a few years that it was meant to be. And that we get so caught up in the no, we get so affected by the no instead of just going, hmm, interesting. I happened to meet a guy who is now one of my business partners um, and he started doing some work with me just on the Terry Hawkins brand. Uh, and then he came over to Australia and watched me uh, present a couple of care programs and smart programs and he really loved the shift human element. So he's a very strong retailer. He was actually doing some work with an amazing IT guru, I'm going to call him, and the three of us got together and we were just chatting about what we could possibly do. And we created our own LMS. Um, so that's like me going, I went from going to rent a room and house to these two amazing guys coming along going, well, guess what? We're going to build you your own house and you can have rent free, you know, rooms in there. Cause that's going to be called our programs. And then from there, we then started to collaborate with each other and realize that there's such a massive market out there for just other tools like sales coaching tools and Mm. HR tools and, um, you know, um, companies that don't actually promote themselves. And so we've got like course builders. and, And so I'm now in the business of software and 
it just blows my mind to think that um, that this schlepping around the country, you can't you can't get to three thousand people, <laughs> but you can certainly get to that that top layer. The, the well, not top layer. I hate that top down. I always go inside out. But you can get to the people that actually influence the masses, and if we can get them to do face to face. And then make them addicted to online. So it becomes a learning journey where they're just buzzed about the growth period. And then they take that knowledge and then they train their staff and then their staff go online. Mm. You have this explosion of ability and, and then passion for what they, you know, originally started to do. So, yeah, I, I love, I just love, I've hated every moment and I've loved every moment. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, I have to ask, what do you mean by hate every moment? What's, what's been the challenge? <laughs> Well, 28 years, you know, I was born, um, I was actually 23 when the first major computer was put into corporations. You do not. So I'd already had, <laughs> I love you, I had 23 years on the planet with, I even remember when the first phones were put in, first home phones, I was uh, about 11. Wow. So, to, you know, to go for that transition and to, to make sure that you are relevant and to be able to offer um, and I've, I'm, I'm very cautious here too with this business that there is a place for human and we'll never get rid of that. That's why I actually love the fact that there's no way that AI can actually touch this part of our business because humans affect humans. You know, we are an affected mm. species. We get affected by our environment and, you know, that face-to-face contact is uh is very very powerful the thing is though if i can't reach you face to face then by gosh isn't it better that i just reach you through a screen not me per se but everybody yeah um it's so still yeah interaction, but, totally yeah but it's been hard i've had to change the whole way i write programs i've had to stand in front of a camera um and do what i normally do to a dynamic group um yeah. You know, I've had to bring people in. I now have, to, you know, a couple of the, you know, guys that I now, we collaborate on and I was the decision maker before that. You know, I've handed over a lot of the decision making to this younger guy. So he's a millennial and that in itself can cause conflict as well. But he's very, very clever and, you know, very clear about the direction of, uh, of technology. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a fantastic marriage between the three of us. Um, it's just every day I'm being challenged with, you know, giving up something or bringing something on or do I give it up or hold on to it? Yeah, because mm. I can imagine that challenge of being in front of a camera and not being able to bounce off the energies of the audience would be dif- different, yeah? It, it very much is and that's why I ha- I'm grateful for the, all the years I've had because I see those faces. Uh, and now it's actually it's getting much more comfortable. I've got a couple of programs on my belt and, um, well, quite a few now, Um and so, yeah, I'm going back into the, the filming more in the next few days. So, yeah, I feel good. Mm. Cool. What's your favourite program to teach? Mm. You ask really hard questions. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. They're very thoughtful. Look, I'd have to say care. You know, care, customers are really everything. It was my very first program that I ever wrote. And I, I love them all. But I have to say that that's the one that I love the most because I don't think retailers and anyone working in a service industry, whether it's quick service, and we do all of this, you know, quick service retail, so, you know, cafes and fast food and so forth, um, you know, specialty retail, um, you know, to anything. Whenever you're standing in front of another human being, we get that, I call it my sliding doors moment. I do this whole thing like, you know, and just in that really quick moment, it's gone. Mm. So we can either impact someone in a few seconds or not. And people say to me, well, you can't impact someone in a few seconds. And I go, really? Go up to someone living homeless and hand them $20 and look them straight in the eye and tell me you can't impact someone in three seconds. Mm. It's so true. Mm-hmm. so true. And it's more for what they do for you. Mm. So that's why I love care. I think it gives these people in retail who have always, you know, been given a bit of a bad rep and, you know, very low paid in America. It's shocking the amount of money that they pay retailers. And uh, I would love to see them wake up every morning. And even though they might be getting a less amount of money, some of them aren't even earning a living wage, that they at least get the chance to influence another human being's life in a really powerful way. Mm. So their life has meaning, you know. 
Yeah, totally. Because they are interacting with people on a daily basis more than a lot of other people in different industries. You know, it's sort of, you don't realise. I I was reading a little bit about one of your programs and I love how you've incorporated identifying uh, learning styles when it comes to educating new team members. And you call it the Retail Human Profiler. I love that. And I think (laughs) it's something that, you know, I think sometimes gets forgotten that when you're actually learning something, people take on information differently. And if we can make it easier for people to understand what we're teaching or what they need to learn to do their job well, that can make a huge impact in someone's life. I, I cannot tell you the conflict that occurs everywhere in life, whether it's in your personal relationships, when you're coaching someone, parenting, when you don't understand a person's temperament, or their sensory calling. Like for me, for example, I'm very low visual. So unless I have something in front of me that I can see, it's very hard for me to contextualize something. Mm. Uh, And so, but when I've got someone who's very high visual, who's explaining something to me and I'm not getting it, they get frustrated thinking that I'm actually an idiot. I get frustrated because I think, what the hell are you talking about? Um, So you can look at even like as a couple, and let's just say, you know, they, so one of the, a visual one would be um, mess. They can't stand mess. Mm. And then you've got a person who's messy. That's also your temperament as well. When you understand it, it's not about saying, well, this is who I am. It's about going, I really care about you, so I'm going to modify myself so that you have the best experience of us. Yeah, together. nice. And if you do that as a coach or a manager and you understand a person's learning style, for example, um, you know, I'm highly auditory, so I talk a lot. Yeah, and I love listening. But you can see the visuals, so they start to nod off. Because <laughs> I need to have that, you know, be upbeat and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it, I wish the planet would, I wish all of us would actually pause for five seconds. And I think Kennedy said it, you know, in his speech where he said, don't ask what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, I reckon don't ask what other people can do for you. Ask what you can do for other people. How can I modify myself to make it comfortable for you? And if you could do the same for me, then we'll meet in the middle. Yeah, totally. And that's a huge way to look at relationships in general, like every type of relationship from like a couple or right through to manager to employee. So in, in business in general, relationships are massive and it's important that we nurture those relationships. What do you feel is important when building really good, strong business relationships? I think, I think in any, I actually don't differentiate. I think business relationships are exactly the same as personal relationships, Mm. except the boundaries are a little bit tighter. Um, But I think, uh, I think a willingness to actually, and it ties into the last comment that we made, a willingness to see that other people are different to us Mm. and then to modify our communication in such a way that is appealing for them. Um, And I think, being truthful and then having the guts to sit in that truth. So someone else's reality of us, uh, that's really painful to do that in business. And I think, you know, I, I think with our clients, especially I want to share our truth, how we perceive them. And that's all it is. It's just someone's perception. But if it stings, I always go, let it stick. <laughs> if it stings, let it stick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And so how do you feel that the relationship between our managers or owners of businesses have changed with the consumer over the years? Say that again. How do you feel the relationship with business owners or Mm -hmm. the business has changed with, say, their customer or their consumer? I think, and I, and I don't think it's changed as so much as that with, they're starting to recognise it, but I think that businesses thought, so we've got the business owners here and we've got the customer here. And it's always been about then there's a product in the middle. I think that what's in the middle actually is that frontline person. Yeah. And the relationship, there's two people in the relationship and it's the salesperson and the customer. And, and we have never given enough energy or support around that salesperson. So... Um, I also think that a lot of business owners haven't become relevant, you know, especially small business when it comes to online. I think they see it as being a separate business and it's, not, it's just another way of 
being helping visible. your customers get what you want. Yeah. Mm, mm, totally. So you mentioned before about obviously companies being able to share their values and their missions. And that's, you know, something that's been around for quite a long time now. Um, when I was reading a little bit more about what you do, you talk about taking that to the next level by making it more of a tribal level. Can you explain that a little bit further for me about what you take it, how you take it to the next level? I think when you've got, when everyone's clear about what the purpose of the business is and, you know, why do you get up in the morning? And, you know, I get up in the morning because I want to make a powerful, positive impact on the human condition. Then when you actually then align all of that to, uh, you know, obviously first how, what platform are you going to use to, to do that? And we happen to have people in progress. Um, and we offer, you know, online and face-to-face education programs and tools. Then what are, what are the values that go with that? Now, what happens a lot of the time, I think, is that we actually will state these values to our people, but we won't actually honour them mm. or we won't, we won't do them and it's just keeping in check. So I think when you start at grassroots level and you bring the entire organisation into it, then the tribe keeps the tribe honest. The tribe exits someone out of the tribe because they just don't fit in. You don't need to have HR coming in, wielding, you know, the hammer. You have people going, hey, you know, maybe this is the wrong tribe. You know, it's not that you're wrong. It's just that maybe you're not aligned to this one. Yeah. Uh, so, but I think you've got to get really clear about what your purpose is and, uh, and then be what you say you are. And I think, I think money, I can, one of my biggest things is, you know, people talk about serving the shareholder and I go, the day I wake up to serve the shareholder is the day I will quit because the shareholder is a gambler and the share, and I don't get me wrong. I've got shares and so forth. The shareholder sits outside of the tribe. Mm. You know, the tribe wakes up to serve everyone in the tribe. That includes the customer. Mm. And if we served each other and then served the customer, you wouldn't have to worry about the shareholder. Yeah, exactly. That would just be a byproduct. That would be, that would, that would happen. Well, that's what profit is. It's a, it's a byproduct. Mm. So how do you feel that your role has changed in people in progress over the last 28 years? Well, up until the last 12 months ago, so my role has significantly changed um, in the last 12 months and I've handed over a lot of the um, direction of the business to my, you know, um, my partners. I think the reason I'm doing that is because I don't know a huge amount about technology. Um, I know enough. I know a lot about education. I know a lot about human development and I know a lot about retail. And so um, I have seen that and had the courage to step away from that. And uh, so that's changed. Um, What else has changed? I think I think it just is. A, it's a, twenty-eight years is a long time, you know. It's a uh, it's a constantly evolving thing. I can think back to, you know, so much that we did over that twenty-eight years, and with marketing and you know different campaigns and different innovations and and so forth. Uh, so I think now it's just a different platform that we're doing it on. So, what have been some of your proudest moments over those twenty-eight years? Wow. Proudest moments. They don't necessarily have to be business. I would have to say, um, I was, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I'd love to say, you know, my kids, but I'm, I'm, at, I'm not the best parent in the world. Um, and and it's funny how people will go, oh yes, you are, and I go, no, I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> because I travelled for half the year. Um, I wasn't present, but I was actually, I'm really proud of how I've provided for my family and I've offered my boys, um, you know, very solid educations, uh, even though with the youngest one still deciding what he wants to do. Um, uh, but yeah, that they had a great life. We've had beautiful homes we've lived in. We've had, you know, a wonderful experience. Um, I think what the proudest moment I get is when I still get occasional emails from people actually on a regular basis saying, you know, you trained me 20 years ago and thank you for this, this and this, or I saw you at a conference five years ago and, you know, my wife's just been diagnosed with cancer and she's taken her flip man to hospital and just wow. stuff like that. I go, I'm not proud. I have to say just really honoured. Nice. Mm. And so we're coming into the new year. How do you go about 
starting the new year off right? Do you like to set up to set goals for your business and personally? Do you set new year's resolutions? I used to set, this year's been a bit of a funny year for me because I really just had to, you know, head down, bum up and just the changes that we went through were just humongous. Uh, What I would normally do, I don't believe in new year's resolutions. Um, I also don't believe, I'm not a very strong believer in this year's going to be the best year. This is my (laughs) year. You know, last year was so bad. This one's my year. I go, no, it's going to be exactly the same actually. Um, you know, you're going to have your highs, your lows, your happies, your sads, your frustrations, your wins. Um, it's just what life is. I used to always have a way of being. And so every year I'd decide that I was going to be conscious of whether that was uh, to, you know, I remember one year I focused on being, you know, incredibly honest, even when the times when I wasn't going to be, like, you know, manipulating the kids to get my handbag out of the car, um, you know, being honest around that. So I think... Yeah, that I would. I would think. Who do they want to be in the next twelve months? Mm. Who do I want to be at the end of this twelve months, at the end of two thousand eighteen? When I look back on it, who was I? If people had to describe who I was, not what I did, not what I achieved. What was she? Was she kind? Was she focused? Was she caring? Was she driven? Was she patient? Was she rude? Was she, you know, whatever? Yeah, I like that. It's a really great way to look at it. It's awesome. Thanks. So what are you excited about for 2018? Meeting a man. Oh, hello. And so, <laughs> and so I've decided, you know, I'm out there and, uh, and letting that happen. Um, and I think it was actually this year where I actually, when I sent you about that ACE test and just make, having resolution with that, that journey that that girl had been on, that was me. Um, I think that just brought in all this softness, which was really weird. Mm. Um, so I'm going to put that out there. What else? I'm super excited about where people in progress, um, and, uh, Ray Riley and cash, you know, our, uh, my IT guru, where the three of us can actually take people in progress, um, and really offer something that's not even in the market. Um, you know, where we can take that. I'm excited about that. And all the people that get the chance to have exposure to that, um, I'm excited about my the potential, my kids' books potentially uh, getting a bit of a look in when it comes to, you know, maybe a television series or wow something. Yeah, so my kids' books have always been a, a huge love of mine. Mm, they're oh, powerful. Yeah, my, I literally just got my sister onto them about a month ago. Yeah, awesome. Oh, very cool. So, is there anything that you're reading at the moment, or anything that you're listening to that you're finding really interesting? I started, I, I, I've started to look at a book called Principles by, um, I forget his first name, Daly is the last name. Um, I'm just looking at, because one of the things a friend of mine, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that, you know, religion's becoming less and less important. Mm. You know, the more that we see how corrupt a lot of, you know, certain religions are and, and how there's so many different forms of religion these days, uh, or not these days, it always has been. And, what are our, what are people coming through going to have a hold on to? And so it's very much about principles. And I believe that I've always driven people in progress based. It's principle based. I've called it empathy based, but I think it is principle based. And, uh, that's, I, I really want to do more research into how can we incorporate, you know, human principles into an enterprise style of education where people can come to work and learn how to be a good person in amongst all the other skills development that they're getting. So, yeah, that's massive. Yeah, yeah I think it'd be really interesting. Hmm. What's been some of the best advice you've been given over the years? Best advice would be, my mum used to say when I was little, you wouldn't worry so much about what other people thought of you if only you realised just how little they actually did. <laughs> that, that was Yeah. That was a regular of hers and I thought she was being so cruel when she used to say it and, of course, now I realise that it's actually the most profound thing you could possibly say because she's right. Um, uh, the best advice, um, oh, I'll tell you the best advice I've ever heard and I've never said it um, publicly. I had a friend, I was going through some issues with my younger son and she said, if you say to a child, I love you, in the middle of an ugly argument, 
the, there's something in the brain that it has to go in. Yeah. Like it just go yeah. And so I would say, you know, I love you. And I'd be screaming and yelling as well. I think I'm the innocent one. Um, and I, so I think the power of those three words, you know, that, that really that's all people want. They, we just want to know that, that our life matters, you know, and that we are loved and regardless, mm. you know. So, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. And I think that the best advice I think also is a, a verse out of a song that my girlfriend and I wrote. And the verse is we came here we came to feel, we came to have fun. We came to have our heart broken. We came to love. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Was that? Love it. I got goosebumps. Oh. <laughs> so if, if there was, um, if you met someone that was about to go on a business journey, about to start their own business, follow their passion, get it and get into it, what would mm-hmm. be some of the advice you'd, you'd pass on to them? I would say get out there and sell. And then when you've sold, sell some more and then <laughs> keep selling. And so because I think people just forget the fact that, you know, a business means you've got something to sell. And we think, and this, we've, we really have dumbed ourselves down and weakened ourselves by saying, oh, people don't cold call anymore. You just don't cold call. And, uh, you know, people will come to you and just build a really great website and then, you know, get your search engine things. I go, get out there and find your customer. So be clear about what you're selling, find out who wants to buy it and then go out there and bloody knock on doors. Do the work. Mm, do the work. Yeah. hundred percent. So if people wanted to reach out and find out more about people in progress, where can they go to do that? Well, our website is peopleinprogressglobal.com and then there's the Terry Hawkins brand, which is just Terry Hawkins, T-R-R-Y. Oh, that's American. T-E-R-R-Y. <laughs> Hawkins, H-A-W-K-I-N-S.com. Okay, beautiful. Thank you so much. I just want to take this opportunity to really acknowledge you for your contribution to all the workplaces that you're involved in, the people that you're touching with your speaking, and this online platform sounds amazing. So I just want to thank you for your insights and your energy and your knowledge today um, and for just making an impact on so many people's lives. Thank you so much. Well, Christine, you know what? I think this is one of the nicest interviews I've ever had. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know, because you, you are genuinely interested in the person sitting opposite you and that makes it so easy and I feel so grateful for this experience because, trust me, I've sat across some of the best in the world, not the best in the world, but, you know, right up there and I know that I'm on their show. That's not what it's about. I wanted to learn more about you and what you've created and just your vision and your voice. And it's just been amazing. Thank you so much. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Next Level Life podcast. I'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode. So please share with me on Instagram and Facebook. And if you feel so moved, please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it. Looking forward to speaking with you next week and here's to taking your life to the next level.